from the HBA Podcast Studio in New York City. Welcome to The Medium Rules. I'm Alan Baldishan. You, uh, you were working in the 90s in New York City doing private equity, and you decided to uh, decamp, head out to San Francisco and join Yahoo. What were you seeing there that sort of made you jump and want to take this on? So we saw your opportunity in a given time to make money in order to grow a business is to jump on the next wave of traffic or anyone else does. If you look at it across 25 years, we've gone through a world where people operated within these sort of consolidated, framed, closed garden experiences like Yahoo. Then Google smashed those apart with search, right? And then they've been effectively in some ways reframed back again with places like, like Facebook. I'm joined today in the HBA podcast studio by Jasper Malcolmson. Jasper is probably best known as the founder and CEO of the local offers business, Bloomspot, sold to Chase in 2013. Jasper's new startup is Skylight, a digitally native home renovation platform, which allows homeowners to design, bid, project manage, and pay for home renovations all through Skylight's online tool set. Most notably, once a homeowner's construction budget is locked, homeowners are protected from cost overruns through Skylight's innovative fully fixed pricing guarantee. We'll talk to Jasper about competing in the local offer space, his experience selling to Chase, and about the ambitions and challenges of Skylight and the field of construction tech. So Jasper, uh, thanks very much for being on the Medium Rules. Looking forward to what I think will be a fascinating conversation. Um, let's get started. Um, so let's start, let's start at the start of your experience uh, in Silicon Valley, you uh, you were working in the '90s in New York City, doing private equity, and you decided to uh, decamp, head out to San Francisco, and join Yahoo. Uh, tell me about that decision, your early days at Yahoo, what it was like there in the '90s, um, kind of what you took on there, and how that job evolved. Yeah, um, so there was a time when Yahoo was on top. There was a time. Um, in, uh, and you know, it's, it's interesting to look back at the historic periods of different companies and how those companies sort of evolved through periods, right? So um, the, if we cast our minds back to the period um, you know, of the, you know, the internet starting um, and then it first consolidating around you know, these broader portals that pre previous to search, became aggregations of multiple different content components across multiple different topics to allow customers to effectively navigate within a known world, right? You know, the interesting thing is we, we basically, if you look at it across 25 years, gone through a world where people operated within these sort of consolidated, framed, closed garden experiences like Yahoo. Then Google smashed those apart with search, right? And then they've been effectively in some ways reframed back again with places like, like Facebook um, to put you back into a safe, organized garden. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, through the period um, of, uh, you know, 2000, um, you know, after the, the downturns of the 2000s, then we had a period where, you know, Yahoo in particular really took off between 2001 and it went through its sort of Apex years from two, about 2002 to about 2007, and was during, that where was that mean, was that when Jerry came back to run the shop? Um, who was, was running Yahoo at that, that time? That was before actually. That was before Jerry. Jerry actually only came back quite um, 
quite uh, after Yahoo had begun its downturn, okay. actually. So the company was being run at that time by Terry Semmel, who was a media CEO. I don't think anyone anyone has ever said that Terry was the person who was responsible for, for Yahoo's success. I think that's a, a, a consensus view. Um, but nonetheless, the factors were very positive for Yahoo during those years. So internet growth was, was very rapid. Um, monetization came back, particularly graphical media monetization was actually brand-oriented graphical media monetization was performing extremely strongly through that period. So Yahoo grew about a, a billion dollar, billion and a half dollar graphical media business, much more significantly on the brand side than the performance side. So, you know, at, at that time through 2001 to 2004, DoubleClick was commanding the more performance-oriented graphical media market. Um, and yeah, I was commanding the brand-oriented graphical media market that was actually performing really well. Like franchises like Automobile, for example, were $500 or $700 million branded graphical media franchises. So yeah, um, uh, Google had yet to go public in, um, in, in 2004. So during that period, Yahoo was uh, about 14% of total internet usage from a consumer perspective, and a large part, you know, a higher percentage, maybe, you know, 20% of, of an entire U.S. internet monetization. Um, and search was growing, but not hadn't yet really risen to the top. And Yahoo Search built on Ink to Me, and keep and people forget that, you know. Um, you know, Ink to me was was and, and the, the assets, the early stage assets that Yahoo had bought were actually very powerful in search, including patents related to search monetization that Yahoo owned. Uh, people forget that Google actually paid Yahoo for its patents related to the ability to do run, you know, AdWords, a billion dollars um, on the day that uh, Google went public. I was actually happened to be in the offices of Yahoo's lawyers when we received the paperwork to get paid a billion dollars because Yahoo owned the patents to do search monetization. Um, so Yahoo was a very, very powerful company at that point. Google was yet to go public and I, I joined the company at a time that it was hiring massively. And through that period, Yahoo accumulated a, a, a really enormous number of extremely talented people um, through that period that went on to do many, many things. And you know, many of the leaders um, across Yahoo now are people that worked at Google, whether it's you know, my boss, Jeff Wiener, who um, you know, ran LinkedIn for a long time, is considered one of the best you know, internet CEOs there is. Um, the unfortunately deceased Dave Goldberg, um, Sheryl Sandberg's husband, who was acquired into Yahoo, but you know, a major incredible leader of you know, SurveyMonkey. Um, or, um, you know, you look at, um, you know, individuals like, you know, um, Katrina or, you know, the current leader of Slack, you know, all those people were at Yahoo, right? So um, uh, it really wasn't a, a hotbed of, of incredible, you know, talent. Talent, innovation. And then Google comes in, sort of yeah, kills so, the franchise, yeah, and then you so, start to see an exodus. What's that sort of yeah, so, your personal journey there? Yeah. and and. I'm always fascinated by the macro business trends that were occurring. So, yeah, as well. you know, um, so I, I joined Yahoo Travel, 
um, and um, in business development professional, and then went on to product and GM, and then I ended up running the Yahoo's commerce business unit, which was shopping, travel, real estate, local, personal, max. So um, we effectively had a property in each one of the major commerce verticals, and it was an incredible vantage point to see the development, uh, you know, looking across six different commerce verticals, the vantage point of the nature of, you know, internet commerce and how it was working. So in a, what, what, what were the macro, um, so that was incredible. From the period of 2004, to let's say 2007, all of our commerce business units grew 3x during that period. 3x, we, we would, um, you know, we would be looking down in the periods of 2005 and we would forecast up the next quarter and we'd get to the quarter and we would blow on our, our numbers you know, away by 30% or 40%. And was that, was that growth a function at that time principally of just more people getting on to high speed? I mean, the mobile devices were just starting at that point. It was web usage. It was web usage. It was, yeah. it was just an, there were two factors. The primary factor that was driving growth in 2003 to 2006, for example, was just massive increased personal use of the web product. And for Yahoo people, just traffic volume to the front page of Yahoo growing dramatically. Then what started to happen in later 2005 and growing towards 2007 is a remarkable thing. People started to, in greater and greater numbers, go from going to the front page of Yahoo or AOL to discovering this thing, search and saying, wow. I can go straight to the... I, I could just all of a sudden have a search box as my homepage and just type in search, a search query, and then, and then you know, take whatever the top search. Now, it turned out that, um, that we at Yahoo yeah, Travel, amongst a summer of other businesses, were the first people, um, and I will attribute this to my business partner, um, and, and great friend Ashish Boldova, who was my engineering partner, he understood search engine monetization, search engine optimization before anyone else did. And he understood in 2002 that based on the way that Google was ranking search, was, which was heavily focused on link density and the quality of your links, which was, of course, Google's original search ranking you know, um, special sauce, which has softened over the years but was, you know, dominated their algorithms. If you could generate millions of, if you could generate millions of links, not just some, millions of links. You were rising to the top. Then you would get to the very top. And so what we did at the time is we created products that naturally generated massive numbers of links. So we created products such as we allowed hotels, um, you know, small bed and breakfasts and so on, to, we, we allow users to create content stories about their experiences, which had no direct monetization value to us. Um, but we created products, it was called Trip Planner, to allow them to create these personalized stories about their trips with amazing editorial and photographs. And then we allowed partners that were described in these trips, whether it's a park or a small hotel or a restaurant, to place badges on their websites, linking to these trips that would be hosted on Yang Travel. 
and saying, hey, look at this great trip on Yahoo Travel that's including describing our experience. We built 3.5 million links in two years around this product. And wow. as a result of which, we were, on, we were the top link on Google. Um, after that time, you know, once the amount of energy Ashish and I left and various people and over time, um, TripAdvisor adopted these techniques and passed us for, for a long time. We were actually way ahead of TripAdvisor and, um, and you know, the number one search result. Anyway, to, to bring it back to these macro trends, what happened to Yahoo between 2006 and 2008 was the movement of traffic from these consolidated walled gardens into people then using the search box as their starting place. And we were fortunately on top of this before a lot of other properties at Yahoo. And I remember us sitting down with, the, or with, the, with our team and they were, everyone was so inclined to think about at that time, their homepage is the starting place for the customer's experience. And we put a giant Google search box on, you know, on a presentation page in front of them and said, this is your homepage. And this was very controversial within, within Yahoo to describe to your entire team that the Google search box was the homepage. Um, but Did anyone was, get up and say, I'm going to go work for Google right now? <laughs> <laughs> the future. Yeah. Um, um, and you know, this, this was the macro, you know, this was the macro trend that changed things. Now, you know, it's an open experience whether, you know, and that trend, um, you know, dominated. And, you know, if we look at the macro traffic acquisition trends, right, um, people were getting their traffic through, um, you know, from 1998 through 2006, people were getting, businesses were getting their traffic by striking these business development deals with the likes of AOL or Yahoo. Portals. With portals. So, you know, portal marketing, everyone would talk yeah. about this, right? Through, um, you know, 2005, you know, to effectively, you know, what, 2011, you know, it was all about um, SEO and of course, you know, the paid version in, in SEM, but SEO was really making the money for, for properties like ours. We converted them all to SEO properties. We gave up on the Yahoo homepage. We, um, and our, uh, we would buy traffic from Google in order to get volume, but all of our money making would come from SEO because basically SEM, you know, paying for your Google for your traffic is always in, in a competitive business vertical like shopping or travel is always going to be a break-even endeavor because Google's algorithms at optimizing their marketplace forces traffic buyers to, to bid right up to, to the, the, the actual time, the absolute squeezing last incremental contribution dollar. And they're so smart in constructing the marketplace to force you to bid up to the last dollar. And also because the marketplaces are extremely competitive you know, you, you then, you know, you, you try to buy out onto the tail, find places where the marketplace is less competitive. But, you know, as the marketplace mature, Google gets better at rematching ads from the head back to the tail. They, they've squeezed out. You can't, you can't make, unless you have some bizarre advantage, you're not going to make money. So it's just a way. But anyway, so that's what the business models became in that period. They became, you know, um, S, S, search engine marketing, SEM to, to drive volume and then SEO to make your money. Of course, you know, in the last, there have been several new macro trends. One, you know, then there's mobile, 
right? Which of course is a completely different traffic acquisition and monetization uh, model, and then you know Facebook itself. Yeah. So 2009-ish, yes. um, uh, and I was obviously on this journey with you, you started Bloomspot, yeah. um, which was a, in its conception, a daily deals yeah. company. It was in that category. Yes. Um, and it was you and Ashish, uh, yeah. your, you, you mentioned your, your good friend and partner at Yahoo. Uh, and he was your engineer and you were the business guy. What... What were you seeing there that, yeah. that, that, that sort of made you jump and want to take this on? Yeah, so I'm just going to take that back to the previous conversation in terms of like macro trends yeah. around, uh, around monetization and traffic acquisition, which any entrepreneur or internet business, um, you're always going to think, where do you get your people? Where do you get your buyers? It's the central part of the business model. Um, so we saw, we were attuned um, to the idea that in any given time, you needed to see the next wave of traffic availability and your opportunity in any given time to make money or to grow a business is to jump on the next wave of traffic availability before anyone else does because you go through two to three year trends where a new source or method to acquire traffic merges. There's temporarily low prices and availability in that new channel. And then over time, people get smart and then they close that. So, you know, that macro trend happened in terms of buying up portal deals, that those opportunities closed, the traffic switched, then that opportunity emerged on, on search engine optimization. Um, we grabbed that, you know, once those trends go, it becomes imp nearly impossible to assail those you know those incumbents that have like locked themselves into those channels or you get search engine marketing where they become so busy they become commoditized at that time facebook was growing insanely quickly and the the uh, most people were not taking advantage of facebook ads and we started to buy in our spare time on weekends um we started to run little tests buying facebook ads this you, you and Ashish, yes, in yeah. your spare time. This, okay. this is what we would do in our spare time. With no, with no business model in mind, you guys were just sort of yeah. starting to we, test. We started to test, and um, we effectively had a theory, which is we'll run a million test ads on this new incredible traffic source, and whatever gets the best click-through, we'll start a business in that area. Okay, So we just started running um, running ads. We, we, because we were watching how traffic moved, we immediately saw that this was an area of just massive traffic growth and opportunity. Very few people were taking advantage of it. The other thing that we recognized was the nature of the type of product that would have to be sold on Facebook, which is, let's stand back and talk about a very simple principle. Um, there are two types of consumers in two types of mindsets. There is an intent mindset where a consumer is searching in the mindset that their attention and mental focus is on purchasing a specific product at a moment. Um, you know, I want, I want to talk about MySpace, um, get a home renovation, and I got up on Saturday morning to look for a home renovation provider. That's my chore. Right. That's, that's my, that's my chore. Yeah. And when consumers are in that mode, they see nothing else. The rest of the world is blank to them. Um, 
And that, in that type of product, search is an extremely powerful product because a person typically does a search query and then they're directly looking. So if you have an intent, if you have an intent based, a product that is best sold into an intent oriented consumer, um, that is in an overt search mode for your product, you should be using search. Then there's discovery. Many, many products, um, there are a whole other class of products um, where the consumer doesn't, um, and you know, the most typical thing that we think about is like purchasing, you know, fashion items, right? I mean, or, or um, you know, discovery commerce, right? So not, but not all fashion works this way, but a lot, um, if you look at end caps, right? Um, in the retail environment for their, for consumers that are seeing a deal and they're, and discovering it going, wow, that's something I want to buy. Um, so we said, um, Hey, Facebook, where consumers are browsing, they're, they, they're not there with commercial intent or an orientation away from a purchase. The type of product that is best sold and take advantage of this massive, incredibly cheap, um, Traffic inventory would be, would have to have the following characteristics. It would have to have a product that could be bought for a, by a customer at any given time, regardless of their specific intent, that is oriented towards a, a discovery purchase. And the fundamental characteristics is that it has to be have a broad-based appeal, have to be something that's like interesting and could be purchased by a consumer that has is you know in a social mode, you know, um, and it has to be supported almost if discovery commerce is almost always driven by deals. Like if you walk down Madison Avenue, you see beautiful displays and you see a promotional because you're trying to get someone to divert their attention from walking down the street to walking into the store and making a purchase. So on the, on the combination of those theories, we came up with, you know, local deals. Um, and um, that's how we entered, that's how we ended up um, entering the marketplace. We actually, um, Groupon was actually not there yet. Um, we. We the method we chose to start was by um, using search algorithms to look across available inventory of interesting deals in other places and surface them and surface them in ads, you know, on landing pages connected with ads on Facebook, and that's how we started. Um, and by the way, I actually still think that's a great idea. <laughs> no, and, and, and I, as I recall, the original name of the company was Value Scout. A bloom spot was Value yeah. Scout. Good, good concept, bad name. Very, well, <laughs> yeah. it's very descriptive yes. of what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's sort of search-oriented. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the problem with that name is that um, discovery brands, well, that is a, it's a functional description. Yes. <laughs> it's a functional description. No, it's not, um, it's not lighting your imagination. Yeah, um, generally, that's not how discovery works. You don't walk down Madison Avenue and, you know, the stores on Madison Avenue don't, don't say, buy beautiful, buy beautiful fashion at deep discounts, co, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, because, because that doesn't inspire discovery or to buyers. But, um, but that was the concept. Um, you know, what ended up, what ended up happening was um, that, you know, we started to hear about both on the travel side, um, companies, you know, buying and purchasing and originating their own inventory, you know, as well as Groupon, we became interested in the idea. We did not realize that it was going to become, you know, as crowded and hectic as it was and started into it. It then became very, <clears throat> we got a lot of momentum um, and um, I think we competed very well in a very good space and um, not, not uh, we weren't far enough ahead as, as Living Social and Groupon was, you know, turned out that the way that that 
sector was built is that it really was only going to support one provider. And you know, interestingly, Groupon has a decent, stable business today. Yeah. Uh, because you know, uh, despite all the negative hysteria at that point, saying this is a terrible business, it's a coupon business, and coupon businesses have and always will exist. And it's a logical business, and it has a good, uh, not amazing, but solid business that will be there for a long time. You know, fueled by more typical classic, you know, coupon-oriented discount buyers that have been buying coupons and discounts for, you know, hundreds of years. You know, those typical verticals. Um, what we, in light of that, we were doing well, but not well enough, and we we wanted to address some of the problems in that business, and. Um, so um, I, I'm gonna, so we decided that we should what the prob, core problem in the business is that you really needed to understand for your advertiser, not just the, the immediate behavior of the consumer, which was to you know, buy that discount at the time, but to understand whether that consumer became a true repeat user. In other words, to understand, you know, to, to get in and participate in the entirety of the commerce flow over a period of time to understand whether that consumer became a repeat user. By the way, I'm, I'm describing this, not just what we did at Bloomspot, but what became a macro trend. Yes, and I was gonna right? say- Another, this is like the next in the macro trends of business models. Uh, and I was gonna say that, you know, you guys, and, and I think it, 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 I'd, I'd be interested to hear you comment uh, about how your your sort of your Yahoo training came into play because Bloomspot became a kind of an early data-driven yeah. company yeah. where you were using, you were tracking buyer behavior and buyer characteristics, consumer yeah. characteristics to, in effect, drive deals. At, in, in, in effect, it was an early predictive analytics yeah. model. Can you talk about that? Maybe yeah. that's where you're going. Yeah, sure. I think that's such yeah. an interesting... Um, so what we did... Um, is that the general Groupon model was they sell you a discount, you visit a place at a discount, you tell your you tell your restaurant or spa, hey, this is great that you gave away a discount because even though you might have lost money on the first customer visit, these people are gonna come back, so it's great. And of course, the negative wrap on this business sector was these are discounted-oriented shoppers that only buy on discounts, and then they, they're gonna come one to, once to get the steep discount, and they'll never return and come back and pay full price. And in absence of any method in order to track this, this was widely disputed, right? And um, also, from the merchant's perspective, and without an incentive method to get the consumer to return, quality merchants became increasingly concerned that they were just giving away these discounts with no loyalty effect, and that was making quality merchants hesitant to participate in the coupon model, um, you know, as well as coupons, bad branding, but we'll leave that aside. Um, so our idea was let's link the purchase by, uh, let's get trackability to the consumer's ultimate true loyalty and provide an incentive by linking the discount to the customer's credit card and using that A, to when the customer came and spent, see whether they spent beyond the discount, um, to see whether they were a large spender and larger spender in the first visit, S give that consumer incentives to return back for additional visits by offering them card-linked offers if they return back to that merchant, which also facilitated ongoing loyalty marketing for that merchant, and let's give consumers even additional incentives if they return back 
to the merchant that they originally visited on the, on the discount. And then finally, for consumers that show a history of returning back to that merchant, let's give them even better first deals. So it effectively became a network where the consumer proposition was, we'll give you the right to visit a merchant on a discount once, but your obligation is to treat that discount with respect, spend well when you're there, and come back, and you will only be getting continued access to this, these special treats if you demonstrate you're someone who treats this as an invitation to be taken seriously as an invitation to get to know this merchant. And you, you're, you need to demonstrate that by returning back. And literally our best deals we would hold back for customers that had generated and demonstrated loyalty behavior and they would get special classifications and so on. Um, so it was a very cool twist on, on the Groupon model. Um, and as a result of which, um, JP Morgan Chase um, and in particular Chase Credit Card that was looking to um, launch offers associated with their credit card product was looking around in that world for a team and a technology that had developed expertise not just in the daily deals world but linking that model to the power of the credit card and you know, became very interested in us and ultimately acquired us. Let me back you up though. Prior to Chase, prior to the Chase acquisition, um, what were some of the macro headwinds working against you? Yeah. Was it ultimately customer, customer yeah. acquisition became so expensive? Yeah. Yeah. Was it the ground game of getting more and more merchants and more and more offers? Yeah. And just the just how how um, kind of labor intensive that process yeah. was. Yeah, what, sure. what were some of those? Yeah. Um, you know the the and I'm going to give it the pejorative name of the daily deals business. Um, you know, the, the daily deals business, first there were just, uh, the fact that it wasn't that hard to enter meant there were just a ma massive number of participants. While consumers initially became very excited <clears throat> with the sector and a lot of individuals that would typically not use deals were using the product that started to diminish. It was a capital intensive business because you had to have large local sales forces. Um, and therefore it's a business that naturally, um, you know, gravitates towards, you know, a single provider because you have to have so much local sales um, that you really need an enormous amount. You, you, you need to consolidate the audience around, you know, a small number or ultimately one provider um, in order to just get enough purchases to justify the local sales team. So even though we had done very well, raised a bunch of money, you know, and so on, we felt the pressure of modifying our model and ultimately being part of JPMorgan Chase was, was great. And, um, so you joined Chase, you yes. joined Chase Payments, basically. Yeah. Um, you were there for three years. Um, what, uh, what were some of the key kind of learnings and trends and yeah. participation during that experience? What, yeah. what do you take sure. away from that? Yeah. Um, I'm going to frame, um, so at Chase, um, I uh, ended up, in addition to my, the offers business, I ended up becoming head of product for Chase Payment Tech. Um, and Chase Payment Tech is um, quietly um, the largest merchant acquirer, uh, the, lo the largest effectively payments provider um, in the United States. States. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm just going to qualify that statement. Um, First Data operates under a, a, a combination of, of sort of individual separate entities, one associated with Citibank, one associated with Wells and so on, they're separate entities. 
you know, in terms of a single entity payment provider, uh, Chase Payment Tech is, is the largest um, in the United States. It, it processes about a trillion dollars of transactions a year, um, which is, you know, about 14% of the U.S. economy. And it, it processes the vast majority of e-commerce transactions. So the, the vast majority, this is little known, the vast majority of e-commerce transactions. And people go, what about, you know, Stripe or, or you know, Square? By the way, um, payment tech is the back end of Square. So when you say Square, you really mean Chase. I mean, most people don't realize that. So it's, you know, Stripe is a front end sitting in front of Chase. So, um, so you know, all the transactions from Amazon and Yahoo and Netflix and Google, they all flow through Chase. Um, you know, most I, 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 I must say, I would not have been aware of that. Is that so, the case also with Shopify? Um, you happen to uh, Shopify just ha uh, the back end of Shopify um, is actually running through First Data. Okay, um, but the, you know the vast, but you know behind any front end, there's there is are the the, the pipes effectively that are taking those transactions and then routing them off to the various networks. And for the vast majority of internet transactions on the internet, you're using Chase Payment Tech. Most people don't know it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Um, so I was sitting there, on, you know, responsible for product for all these systems. Um, it's an incredible, you, you, you get more insight into what's really going on on e-commerce, you know, Payment Tech, and they're, I should note, they're extremely confidential with their data, but they, um, they, in a confidential way that they never uh, break, do have an incredible insight with respect to, um, you know, exactly what's going on. So what were, you know, um, um, what were the, let's go to macro trends, right? That I was seeing there and I'd seen before. Macro trends in terms of, you know, internet monetization and commerce. Um, what, I was, what I was participating at, yeah, at Yahoo and at Google is what I refer to as the PPC economy, right? The PPC economy is where front ends of any sort, whether they're Google or whether they're these partnerships like Yahoo, they're selling clicks, right? Google sells, Google's sells clicks. Um, and um, they sell it in a price per click. Even when we were at Yahoo, Yahoo Shopping, real estate, we were selling clicks. Um, the PPC economy was effectively the economy. Even graphical media ads, they're effectively you know, other than the brand advertisers that, you know, don't, but they're selling clicks. Um, and that dominated the vast, overwhelming majority of commerce, um, you know, from the inception of the internet, basically, to, you know, running through, you know, up until, you know, um, up until, let's say, 2012 and 13. And generally what happened is internet properties were these thin front ends, right, that produced, um, that had, you know, some content and some pictures and organized underlying providers, whether those were shopping providers or trap or hotels or airlines or local restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. And um, what started to happen is that businesses said, you know, that's a pretty low value ad model, right? Um, let's describe one specific case, VRBO, okay? VRBO was around for years. Um, and they were a thin front end for, for local lodging, right? And people clicked and they saw an ad, they saw some reviews and they clicked on it. And some very smart guys at the little companies at Airbnb said, separate from their Airbnb's innovation about someone sleeping on a couch, I would say the real innovation is they said, 
let's go down and build a software platform, not operating on PPC economy, but build an entire software platform and encase that local inventory in a powerful software program that provided payments. And as, a, um, and as a function of payments, not just payments, but along with payments, and this is something that I learned from participating in the payments field, a payment system is not just a facilitator of payments, it also is um, a dispute resolution system. It is protecting the transaction, often for both the buyer and the seller. So, you know, any payments model at the center of any credit card model is a method by which you can get your, protect the customer around getting your money back, right? And also it's a method for the seller to make sure that they're going to get their money. Um, so the Airbnb guy said, hey, let's not just click people through. Let's build an entire experience that wraps this inventory to make the inventory trustworthy. Let's insure the seller. Insure the seller for a million dollars. Like whoever thought about insuring the, the local seller of a transaction, right? But genius because people would not bring their inventory online unless the seller was insured, right? One of Airbnb's like massive innovation. Let's effectively, you know, go through an incredible amount to protect the buyer around the safety and trustworthiness of that inventory. Let's get involved in the transaction to protect people on both sides. Let's have people that call homeowners and check that they're, you know, that check they're okay, etc., etc. And um, and um, let's do, because in that in, um, in that business, um, the current previous model of the VRBO user landing on the site, often sites didn't have very good systems for managing and displaying their inventory to the consumer. So a consumer had to like sit and click through all those links and land and like search around and call the place and try to find out what was available. Airbnb created systems for all that small disorganized inventory to bring forward their inventory availability and consolidate into a single display to allow the consumer to effectively understand all that local inventory. That took a huge amount of work. So, um, so effectively the genius was, we're gonna leave the PPC and our business model is no longer gonna be selling and click. We're going to facilitate the transaction for the consumer and the buyer. And then we're gonna take a portion of that transaction, okay? They left the PPC economy, right? By the way, this is what's changed commerce. Uber, exactly the same massive innovation, right? What's the innovation of Uber? They took the local cab driver and they said, we're going to wrap that entire experience in software. We're gonna manage the transaction. We're gonna guarantee the buyer's experience. We're gonna guarantee the seller's experience. We're gonna protect people around that inventory. We're gonna brand it all so people say that, I'm you know, that even though they're using massive amounts of inventory on the ground, they're wrapping it in such a strong software layer that the consumer feels like um, they're actually making a purchase from that brand new company, even though the, all the local inventory is still in its individual local chaos. And so I think this has been the macro level commerce um, trend. Um, you know, obviously the other incredible example has been Amazon, right? Unlike, let's say, you know, our Chinese models that have stayed in, you know, uh, PPC um, and the Alibaba models, Amazon has equally said, I'm not in the PPC business. I am creating a, cons a, a big, solid software block that completely manages every component of the, of the transaction. And they've basically stolen commerce, you know, the commerce search away from Google, right? Yeah. 
Um, so that's like an, the most massive vision. So I think every any commerce entrepreneur has rethought their business models. So let's take that in. Um, sorry, so that, yeah, and, no, and, no. and by the way, um, the, the business model to execute this in from a payments perspective, the underlying um, classification from a payments model perspective is called a, uh, a payments facilitation model, it's, uh, which is called PPP. That's how it's classified from a legal payments perspective. And Chase was the number one provider of payments facilitation services to allow a third party to effectively act as a bank and own that payment facilitation model. And we were the number one provider of payment facilitation services. So we were the back end. So you're in perfect to position everyone to this new you know, And Bobo Lab, this was going on with Grubhub and sure. you know, like in every vertical across and you know, for, and for Airbnb and we were we were the payments facilitator for Uber. We were literally powering every one of these models, right? And I found myself as the person running payments uh, for Chase and effectively running payments for the internet, uh, more or less, right? I was just incredible. I was basically running you know, payments piping for the internet, seeing this go on at just a massive scale, right? So um, I, uh, anyway, so that is what fueled my thinking as, as I went forward. And that's, uh, I don't think people talk about this, this is the dominant trend in uh, that is that has driven the entire internet. So fast forward to uh, what two thousand, I want to say sixteen. Yeah. Your three years is coming up. That was your non-compete period. Yeah. You had a great run there. Yes. What's going through your mind? Yeah. Um, I want to start another company, and I, I, and this is what I'm very interested in. Yeah. How did that morph into? Well, you you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Again. Yeah, I wanted to be an entrepreneur again. Um, and I was becoming fascinated by this macro trend, right? That I thought was changing the internet. I was going around to Chase and talking to people about this and so on. Not everyone knew what I was talking about. <laughs> um, but I, I found this incredible, like I found this incredibly interesting. I, uh, another trend that I was observing is that in each of these different, if, if you look back um, at a macro level at payments models, okay? Um, Every payments model, the center of it is not just a way of moving money, but a set of rules that governs that transaction between two parties. Okay, so the credit card model is a model that is both a way of to move money from A to B, but a whole set of rules, which primarily, by the way, um, you know, protects the buyer against the seller. You know, um, chargebacks is an incredibly powerful thing in credit cards, and if you actually look at the internal operations of a credit card company, you'll see it's dominated by the chargeback experience, um, as well as you know the points experience, which is extremely um, you know friendly to the buyer and not friendly to the seller. Sure. If you look at the macro trends that were occurring, you know, in payments after 20 years of the growth of the credit card model driven by consumer interest, sellers were pushing back against both a rewards model that was so beneficial to the buyer and punitive to the seller and also you know along with it the chargeback model um, and as a result of which you were seeing massive pushback on those models all kinds of major merchants launched their proprietary credit card brands paypal which is basically an end run on the credit card business even though people don't realize that's what it really is um, and just driving to try to consumers to pay and fund their accounts through ACH and so on. So 
this was you know the big thing that was going on. So, um, and if you look at you know macro um, trends, um, you can understand each new business payment business as effectively creating a new structure to make payments governed by a set of rules that are appropriate for the transaction in that vertical. So you can think about um, Airbnb as a payments business with a, a set of, of rules governing a transaction especially appropriate for the environment that someone is purchasing untrustworthy you know, local inventory, um, an Uber, so on and so on. Um, so um, I was just fascinated by this trend and therefore coming up on being interested in being an entrepreneur before I was looking for opportunities to see the relationship between this massive trend and different industry sectors. Um, I, um, I, I had the opportunity to interview, I, I interviewed for the CEO of Angie's List, a job I did not get, um, thankfully, <laughs> um, given what, you know, where that company's, uh, you know, ultimately, um, the challenges that company had before being acquired by IAC. Um, but um, I looked at that company and I saw a company that was in a classic old school PPC economy. And I saw everything that was broken about that model. Let, let me stop you and, and say, when you say PPC, just to sort of try, try and maybe translate that, that is sort of what we might think about as a company that makes money off clicks and affiliate deals, basically. Yeah. Sending you from here to there, lead gen. Yeah. Um, says, As opposed send, to a trend, money right. that makes it, money it, off transactions. It sends you over. It's, um, it's a, you go, hey, I'm interested in getting a hotel or a restaurant or an yeah. airline or a blah, blah, blah. And it goes, oh, great. Here's one provider. Here you go. Here's the provider. Good luck with that. Yeah. Right? Without like on it, I get paid, you I go get over paid, there. You go over there, and whatever experience you have over there, yeah. I'm not gonna try to change that experience. You're gonna shop, buy, do whatever you do in exactly the same way, and after the first moment of finding that provider, you are uninvolved. That's the BBC economy. That's Google today, right? Um, and um, so I saw, um, so that's VR, let me go back to, that's VR Boot BO, why did, why did VRBO, which was the dominant force for selling like local short stay, know, short stay vacation rentals, yeah. get completely destroyed by Airbnb because they were sending people, just clicking them over on the other side. Airbnb came along and said, I'm going to own and organize that inventory and be involved in that transaction. And they crushed the VRBO. It's incredible, right? So I looked at Angie's list. And I could say the, the same for any of these lead gen providers in the home renovation space, um, like Angie's List or um, Home Advisor, for example. And you know, IAC has always been you know a big participant in the PPC, in the PPC economy. And said, what's what's their experience? Hey, here's a list of uh, general contractors. Click yep. on one. Good luck with that. Was that truly solving the renovation experience? Absolutely not, right? You know, renovation experience dominated by cost overruns, you know, small individual providers without the benefit of technology or organized systems, you know, um, fragmented experience between designers, structural engineers, you know, um, general contractors, terrible experience. Um, Which, by the way, let, let me back up, let me back you up and, and yeah. so we can, we'll back up to go forward. Two questions. One, was your interest 
because it's not like you're a contractor, it's not no. like you've done 15 renovations. Was your interest in the home renovation space sparked by that interview at Angie's List? Yes. And uh, by the way, this so is then a, you decided this, to take on maybe the most impossible hack of all of these, which is home renovations yeah, for all the exactly. reasons you're about to get into. Yes. And by the way, I'll just say a comment about uh, being an entrepreneur and how you enter a space. So people go, there is this idea, okay, that an entrepreneur is supposed to start a business in the area because they have this serendipitous personal experience, right? Um, and uh, that is not. Uh, I, I arrived at this through an intellectual experience of you know watching these macro trends, right, and seeing how that lined up against the sector. Um, you know, people often say, "Oh, you know, did you start a home renovation business because you know you um, have you like making fortunes, right?" Yeah. And I said, "The idea that someone like someone walks along and slips on stairs um, and falls downstairs and goes, wow, I should start a stair business.'" Is the dumbest idea in the whole. But it does happen. It does happen. It does happen. But so often. I'll guarantee uh, you, the people who started the sill love plants. Yeah. Right? They, <laughs> yes, they were exactly. probably out getting a plant. Yes, but yeah. How is this so hard? Yeah. Exactly. But four, so, four entrepreneurs. Absolutely. <laughs> if that's how it works for you, then that's yeah. great. By the way, I'm not saying that's happening. Yeah. But entrepreneurs and venture capitalists of the world, hear me now. It is not necessary for you to have this like silly. You know, modern, terrible, magical. Yeah. I had this <laughs> terrible personal experience. Therefore, like, let's let's end that as a requirement for how you you can look at a sector and go, God, it's incredibly clear. I should build a business in their area. And that's we started Uber weren't cataracts. Yeah, they weren't cataracts. So you know, I I decided to start a business in home renovation because it was a, a massive vertical, 125 billion dollars, the same size as the entire U.S. enterprise software business with no companies, no technology, and incredibly broken consumer experience, and I observed macro trends and a method of doing business that would clearly solve the problem there, rather than like slipping on a banana peel you know, right. while I had an innovation. So to connect it back with these macro trends, you know, I saw that there was an entire history of business of verticals where people currently had these thin, you know, review-driven layers and were just popping people over without assisting the transaction to someone, to companies starting effectively taking responsibility for the entirety of the consumer's transaction, building a software platform that truly facilitated and organized the consumer's entire commerce experience, providing payments um, and not just for the purpose of moving money from A to B, but effectively providing payments as a way of, facil of facilitating a service saying, I'm delivering you the service and I'm only going to charge you and you're only going to end up with money out of your pocket if the experience is really good. Because when you own the payment, it allows you to effectively own so much more of the experience and the transaction that you build around the payment. Well, you know, in home renovation, you know, it's, 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 there, there is a way, um, you know, without maybe dumbing it down too much, but there is a, a way that payments have gone in home renovation projects for yeah. many, many years, which is there's an upfront down payment. Yeah. There are progress payments. There is a holdback. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not just the payment. But is that it's, is that somewhat mirrored yeah. at Skylight, or yeah. have you even really kind of innovated on that those basic sets of rules about how um, how, how the customer experience? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Our proposition is 
We 100% guarantee that everything in your renovation will be amazing or you don't pay. That like, period, our, yeah, stop. period, full stop. That, I mean, that is our proposition. We don't consider ourselves. So, so what is Skylight? Skylight is a company that we call ourselves a renovation service provider. Our proposition to the customer is very simple. From the entirety of everything you need in order to have a successful renovation, from the first moment you're going, I want to do a renovation, to it being done, that includes everything. Design, um, material selection, electrical, mechanical, plumbing, permitting, construction, etc. Our proposition to you is the entirety of everything in that experience will be delivered to you in a highly integrated, highly organized, unified package at a single price, and the entire thing will be awesome or you don't pay. So let's talk. Let's 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 drill down on Skylight. Um, stepping back, what is Skylight? Um, what's your offering? What's your proposition? What's my experience as a homeowner who's thinking yeah. about doing a, a renovation? I, I want to redo my kitchen. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we refer to Skylight as a renovation service provider, and what that proposition is to the customer is: if you want to do a kitchen or a bathroom renovation. Skylight takes you, holds your hand, and takes you right from the beginning of a customer who's has just, I, my thought is that I would like to do a kitchen and bathroom, all, all the way through the entire experience, including design, design, material selection, structural, electrical, mechanical, permitting, construction, etc., from conception of the renovation all the way through completion, and ensures that we deliver that as one complete organized experience that we guarantee goes right from the beginning to the end. But you're not a general contractor, Skylight meeting. You're not a designer. Um, you, so who am I dealing with as customer, as, yeah. as homeowner? Yeah. Um, Just sort of, sort yeah. of high level, what yeah. are those? What are those? While, while, um, while we are, um, while we are, not a designer and not a contractor. The experience that we deliver our customers wraps those wraps our partners so deeply into a completely organized experience that from the customer's experience, it is just delivered as a single consolidated organized experience. Okay. Um, and let's let's go through a renovation. Yeah. Um, I click through Skylight, I input my name, my address, I'm interested in a kitchen, yeah. what happens next? Yeah, for sure. So um, um, you reach out to us as a Skylight, we visit your home. First I can describe this. We aesthetic. meaning a designer that's part of your uh, a Skylight, a Skylight, a Skylight person visits yeah. your home. At a macro level, we effectively then proceed to do your renovation digitally and then recreate that digital renovation physically. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, we take a scan of your home um, upon first visit, which creates a digital model of your home. We use an application to find out what you are interested in in your renovation. We have a bunch of standard te um, templates around great, we have six different kitchen designs, six different bathroom designs, an application for you to effectively, in an organized way, specify everything that you want, whether it's in your kitchen, first, the overall look and feel of your kitchen, the layout of your kitchen, 
right down to your backsplash and your countertops and your hardware and your hardware and your application, but in a super organized way, um, which gives you both a ton of consumer choice, but also not just having to fish in an open ocean around all those choices. We've effectively given you choice, but the go a good logical set of choices that represent the things that would be logically most interesting for you. Um, we then um, take the customer into an experience that we call rapid design, which is effectively for $100 and in one week, totally design your renovation. We effectively give you the same service that you would go and enter into an agreement with an architect and pay $25,000. We deliver to you in a week for $100. So within two days, we send you a visualization of a first cut of exactly the kind of style and look and feel and layout that you've specified in the home in a beautiful, fully 3D rendered, um, you know, effectively photographic experience of your home set in your actual home from the model that we built. Um, that's inclusive of um, all the materials um, that would be appropriate for doing that renovation and a budget, which is one single number to effectively take that renovation from inception all the way to the end, then under no circumstances, unless you change what you want changes. So, um, we give you a number and say, in order to deliver you this amazing kitchen that we visualized for you in a day and a half, um, this is the number, let's say $50,000. And it doesn't matter whether we find out that that wall that you're taking down requires more or less, you know, a whole bunch of structural work, or whether later in the process we discover that um, you have asbestos under your floor or lead paint, or we open up um, your bathroom and there's dry rot in your shower pan, or whether we open up your wall and there's structural weakness, or whether it turns out that your appliances in your kitchen are not fed from a single circuit and therefore for permitting reasons we need to effectively modify that or whether there's corrosion in your pipes or whether your HVAC vents into your um, bathroom or closet no matter what you get one number and, as long, and separate from you changing renovation you get a completed 100% great experience, guaranteed at quality standards, and not a dollar more than that because you bank account. Which is mind-blowing uh, to anyone who's ever done a renovation. Two questions. Um, one, presumably for 100 bucks, you had a lot of tire kickers. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, I wouldn't mind seeing what a couple of my bathrooms would look like. Yeah. I mean, how do you, that's question one. And then question two is, um, how are you able to deal with all those variables you just listed, which are the types of things that will totally throw off renovation? You, you, you obviously do a site visit, but within a week, how are you possibly able to kind of control for all those variables? What, what, what's... Yeah, probabilistically. Okay. Um, so, you know, that's... Is, both, is that the answer to both questions? Yes, probabilistically. Um, you know, at, at, the, at the formation of Skylight, we went out to 40 general contractors and we got data on the frequency of a, a lot of the events that I just described were referred to as unforeseen site conditions. Um, although not all, some of them are also like structural issues or things that come up 
during the you know the TTL design phase and permitting phase. Um, but we've just learned from and gathered data around these events to allow us to predict them um, well enough um, that we feel comfortable taking that risk. And on one level, we are to some degree uh, uh, have an element of being an insurance company. Um, well, and how does that work, given that the contractors that you're working with aren't necessarily, like, you've got to ultimately pay them, so you lose some, you, presumably if the contractor has to do a, a week more work than they thought. Sometimes we lose money, sometimes we make Okay, okay. Um, how do you do customer acquisition? Um, yeah, we, um, uh, given my background at Yahoo um, and, and some of the previous discussion that we've had on this podcast, I've been focusing on digital customer acquisition for a long, long time. Um, so we're very good at acquiring customers from digital channels in, in, in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, you know, our lead value proposition um, that we advertise, which is if anything goes wrong, we pay the difference, is an incredibly, makes an incredibly powerful ad. Mm -hmm. And with um, incredible uh, click-throughs, we do a lot of, you know, core Google search advertising because as per previous discussion, this actually is a vertical where it's an intent-based vertical. Um, generally, the customers we're selling to, uh, for now, are people that have decided that they want renovations. We do think that our proposition of being able to create an amazing design for customers incredibly cheaply and simply is an extremely powerful one. And um, we can and the fact that we're building a system that you could refer to as a semi-automated architect, um, or an auto, you know, ultimately an automated architect. Um, will ultimately allow us to allow any person at almost no cost to envision and price their ideal renovation with almost no effort and cost. Uh, we think it's, it's incredibly powerful and is ultimately where we are going. Um, and who are your customers? Are they, they're not, you know, they're not somebody with a classic seven in New York City apartment, I assume, just given the complexities of approvals and you know, board approvals and so on and so forth. What are you finding in terms of, you know, yeah. maybe geographically, demographically, yeah. from an income perspective, the types of renovations? Is it just kitchen and bathroom? Yeah. Okay. We so are, um, so first we're just serving the, the, the Bay Area. Oh, you are? Okay. Um, we're serving okay. just the Bay Area right now, although we'll be expanding beyond that. Um, and the model's clearly set up um, to be anywhere. Um, the, uh, from, we think about ourselves as Starbucks. Uh, like Starbucks for home renovations. By, and what, is, what do I mean by that? Which is that a organized, um, you know, high service experience sold into the mass market. And you know, you see this all the time with more and more products, which are mass market products, but are sold with much higher design standards and quality standards that have been typically sold into the mass that market. That is really one of the key direct to consumer. I mean, LA. Obviously, yeah. with luggage. I mean, that is, uh, yeah. So that's how we're constructed. And, you know, our, um, as a result of the scale and organization, our prices are going from average market prices to below average market prices. Um, we're still not at the price um, that if you're willing to use a contractor that's not going to do permitting, for example, you can get a job that's cheaper than, that, than us. But we are getting to really competitive pricing, but pre, but a really, um, you know, very, very high levels of quality of service and demand. Um, I would say that our product is probably not, um, it's not focused on the extreme, if, uh, extreme high-end consumer 
that wants a celebrity architect to come to their home and work with them at their home in an interactive experience with a super high-end architect to come up with very, very esoteric design. Um, we think our design are amazing, but we're, we're, not, um, we're not that experience. Um, we're for people that want to get really good quality design. By the way, tailored, tailored design. We're not, um, we start with templates, but then we really work with the consumer to tailor to exactly the experience that they want. Um, but we're more likely for um, you know, the Starbucks consumer rather than the consumer that you know, um, wants the finest Colombian coffee shipped to, shipped to their home. And like Starbucks, you, know, you walk into Starbucks and they've got um, a lot of choices there. Not an infinite set of choices, but a lot of choices. And that's how we think about our product, which is you know, organized enough to allow us to deliver a really consistent, high-quality, choice-oriented experience, but not so many infinite world of choice. We're not shipping specialized materials in from Africa such that we can deliver this experience to consumers with sort of consistency and really attractive prices. What's been the most uh, challenging, or, or, or let, let, me, let me try and put it a different way, as you were putting the pieces together yeah. to, 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 to be able to go out and launch this business, you know, in your build phase, in your, in your post-funding, pre-launch, pre-going out and doing your first renovation, what, was the mo what, what did you find most challenging in putting this together? Because really, um, it, you know, it's, from a standing start, you would have thought this was a very, very difficult mm -hmm. industry to go digitally native with. Yeah. Um, what was it? Industry resistance? Was it trade resistance? Was it the logistics? Was it these pre-existing site conditions are going to kill me? What 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 did what were some of the things that were most that you're most proud of having yeah. hacked and, and cracked and being able to figure out? Yeah. Um, at the first blush, the process of doing a renovation for any given kitchen and bathroom might appear to be completely unique, right? To take the, the customer through all the different steps to get that done. In reality, they all follow exactly, they can be managed to follow a very precise, organized process every single time. The biggest challenge we've had is to come up with a structure in order to take each one of those and turn them into the same organized process that we can follow each time. Also knowing which, you know, what jobs um, we shouldn't do that would otherwise take us out of that, but provided that we stay within that, be able to take the consumer through an incredibly organized, repeatable, efficient, simple process to go through the initial design, the more detailed design, the selection of the core materials, the design of the cabinetry, the kitchen cabinetry, the finalization of all materials in the home, the application for the HOA permit, the application for the permit process, completion of structural engineering, ordering and material logistics, um, organizing the in-home experience um, for the, the actual construction. In other words, like how you set up the home how you guys set up the homeowner in order to have a makeshift kitchen and you know and so on and organize their experience. Organizing access to the home by the contractor that we now do through a lockbox. 
communication to the oh, really? homeowner, communication to the homeowner through the experience. And then the final component is the establishment of concrete construction quality standards that we specify that every one of our kitchen and bathrooms live up to. Um, monitoring and enforcing those such that at the end of this experience, we deliver to the customer an absolutely trustworthy and consistent outcome. How do you deal with, and who deals with things like the, 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 the oven arrives, the homeowner doesn't like the color or it's the wrong fit? Is that skylight or is that the contractor's problem? Or, or is there yeah. maybe even a line between that? What is that? Yeah. Um, everything is skylight's problem. Okay. Um, so you're dealing with the, 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 the distributor, you're dealing with the wolf distributor to say, hey, you delivered a wrong one, I need it by tomorrow. So somebody at Skylight's dealing with that issue. You take that out of the hands of the local contractors. You okay. saw that. Uh, uh, or you've had a bunch of homeowners that have gone on vacation, and when they come back, their renovation is perfect and that's Skylight's problem. It's just that simple. Yeah. Everything, there's, the homeowner is not reliant. There's, the, uh, everything is Skylight's problem, and we, uh, with no homeowner involvement, deliver perfection, period. Okay. Um, pretty incredible proposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how's the business doing? What do you, yeah. what do you, what do you find, what, what, what are your biggest challenges going forward? Is yeah. it, I mean, are you, do you, but, you have so much yeah. inbound that it's starting to be yeah. a fire hose? Like, well, yeah. how, what's the scale? Yeah, sure. By the way, I'll just follow up on that. Yeah. Like, you know, I'll just follow up on that experience, you know, what I just said. Um, you know, we had homeowners on vacation, we just, they just received an email indicating that, um, that while they were on vacation, it had been discovered that their entire bathroom had been rotted out. It had been discovered, it had been identified, a fix had been designed, a fix had been implemented and paid for, and we just let them know that that happened. Right. Um, a customer did, um, a, a um, in, in one case, we did have in a bathroom, in a powder room, some of the, the wallpaper was not evenly set. We identified that because we take photographs of each of the step. We just identified to the homeowner, um, it, we said to, sent the homeowner an email, it's been identified that your wallpaper is not met Skylight's design standards and quality standards. This is being fixed. Our apology in order to fix this, your renovation is going to take an additional 10 days. But all you need to know is that this will be delivered. Yeah. Um, how is the business scaling? Yeah. Um, you know, for us, the we still have um, you know manual components. You know, in, uh, so we are not gated by access to customers. We're gated. Um, our our flow of customers is effectively infinite. Um, we're gated by our ability to consistently deliver that experience, and there's still manual components in delivering that experience. And we have to have operators that are trained within our system to work effectively in order to deliver that. And we need to add those people into our business and uh, make sure that they're ready to deliver. And that's, um, that, that's what we do. That's, yeah. the, that's the gate to our ability to be able to expand the business. Um, and we recently did an additional financing round and that's what we're doing right now, which is you know, adding people, training them up, continuing to re uh, refine the efficiencies of our process to deliver. I mean, that's a great problem to have. 
Yeah. You know, you, you've got no problem on the, uh, on, on, on the inbound business side. You just got to manage that scaling. And that's something that presumably you've, you've got experience with, your team has experience with. Um, let's talk a little bit about the competitive, some of the, some of the, your competitive landscape. Um, you know, come, another company out there is pro.com. Um, also trying to, you know, in effect, take the home, home renovation experience online. How are you guys different? How are you the same? How do you see yeah. that? How do you see this um, construction tech, if you will, home renovation yeah. tech space growing? And, and how do you assess the field? Yeah. So um, Pro.com recently did a financing round. Congratulations to them. That's great. Um, you know, Pro.com is a general contractor. They're a general contractor, um, which is great. They're, the only difference I think between a normal general contractor and Pro.com is they're just a comp they're a, they're a general contractor that's serving multiple different um, multiple different cities and raise venture capital. They are hiring full time you know site supervisors and general contractors and so on. Um, they are not seeking to deliver like an integrated um, renovation experience, including design. And for us. To be able to, to, to um, they're, they're seeking to do the general contracting part and they're working with existing um, architects and designers, often in, in, a tr in the traditional way where you go off to an architect, that architect does a design, for, you know, does your architecture, then you go, you, you run a bid. And um, they're one of the bidders. And they're one of the bidders. Okay. And therefore, you know, you have one person that's done your design, another person that's your general contractor in that traditional mode. Right in that in, in in that traditional style, we're trying to create a different model, an integrated renovation service provider. I can see the value in what they're doing, and that's great. I'm sure that by being a larger general contractor with people in multiple cities, they're able to you know control for quality and sort of build a role. And even the name of their organization, you know, Pro.com, mm -hmm. implies that right yeah. that they're that they're general contractors. But they're not giving the three sixty experience. Yeah. I mean, we're effectively we're a designer, right? Skylight is a, is is a designer as well as a, as well as a builder. Yeah. Um, and therefore, we have design standards. You know, our, our renovations even use similar sets of materials yeah. and so on. I mean, we're we're a renovation. So that's really a wildly different proposition. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. It, it, and, it, and you know, I think if you're by the way, we only do because we're delivering that experience. We do certain types of things and don't do anything. Just, we, we don't work with third-party designers and architects. You know, we are that experience. Why just kitchens and bathrooms? Um, we feel that kitchens and bathrooms is a large part of the market. It's also an area where all of the technology we built in order to generate a really effective, rapidly, effectively generate a really effective design for the customer works best when we fo focus on certain topics and repeat those over and over and over again. And once again, we allow our customers to modify those, but we have just built tons of expertise around kitchen and bathroom design, which is a very specific area, large area, but we've gotten really, really good at that and understanding, delivering that to the customer. And by staying focused on that, we are not a generalist general contractor. We are a deliverer of amazing kitchens and bathrooms. And those are two very different things. What, 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 what could be next? Skylight, would yeah. it be? We, how, how, and maybe you're not focused on yeah. this. I mean, you want to scale your core business right now, yeah. obviously, but um, and, and you're going to expand geographically. Are there other things you could imagine adding 
other layers you can imagine adding, like basements or yeah. additions or yeah. you know, uh, maybe building the whole home. Yeah. What what what, what might be out there? Um, you know, if first um, you know, the kitchen and bathroom market is you know a very large. You know, if you look at the total 125 billion dollars. Um, you know, new homes is only about a third of that market. So, you know, the market is massive, just staying in the renovation space that we're in, where yeah. kitchen and bathrooms are, are a very large portion of that. Yeah. Um, we made additions is the next thing that is, you know, we, we like areas where the integration of the design, the construction, and the materials all in one package are very, very important, right? And kitchen and bathrooms, which are extremely materials and design centric, right? As opposed to like fixing your foundations, right? Um, so we like areas that where the integrated package is, is most meaningful. Um, the um, additions can be like that because additions are usually often adding a kitchen, or, you know, extending your kitchen yeah. into an additional footprint outside of the space and so on. So the addition would be the most logical thing. I think it'll be a long time before we seek building a brand new home because you know they're the existing architectural you know now in the United States um, for kitchens and bathrooms you know ninety three percent of kitchens and bathrooms in the United States are done just by general contractors without the assistance of an architect or a designer so one thing that we're doing is addressing um, the that's not true around Europe by the way for example where people doing kitchens and bathrooms almost always use architects and designers. And effectively, we are reinserting high quality design in the kitchen and bathroom renovation experience where it is absent here in the United States. But within a templatized kind of a workflow. Yeah. And Which in some ways, the only way you can do it and still be economical. Yeah. And the way that I think about it is we leverage templates so we can quickly get to the ideal design for the customer not to constrain the customer to those templates. So uh, I think it's brilliant. I mean, yeah. I, 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 my guess is, well, my guess, but you know, the, the, the idea of templates, if I'm, a, if I'm a homeowner looking to do a kitchen or bathroom, I may not even know I need, I want or need templates, but pre presented with templates, it makes the process so yeah. much more happy. It, it says like, hey, here are, you know, 10 amazing versions and, it could be and yeah. yeah, and then um, 10 amazing versions and, and customers go like, wow, that's an amazing, one looks beautiful. That's an amazing place. That's right. Very often our customers will take a few elements or maybe more if they choose. Um, and we will, we have, I'll give an example. If you take a kitchen and you modify the backsplash, the counter, the countertop and the flooring, right? Even though in that kitchen, there are probably a hundred choices that need to be made. If, but, you know, does the consumer really want to think through every single of those choices? If the consumer says, hey, you know, those three elements that are driving the aesthetics, like, I want it to be like this, but warmer, we have, you know, an, we have a catalog of additional elements of the best, most economical, highest quality, most usable materials that are alternatives to those and say, hey, here are 15 alternatives. How can we match and organize each of them in order for the three most critical elements you know, the backsplash, the countertop, and the flooring to get exactly the feel you want. That's still gone massively fast and efficient relative to starting from scratch with nothing, which is a baffling experience considering, you know, great, beautiful kitchens and bathrooms have been done before. Are you seeing any unfair advantage on pricing 
with respect to supplies and materials? Yes. Um, so without going into the details, yeah. um, we would already be um, four major cabinetry providers. We're told that we are already one of the top buyers of, uh, of cabinetry. Um, so, uh, and we are becoming um, a, a significant purchaser of materials, um, you know, already considering that actually Skylight purchases the materials on the customer's behalf um, in order to organize the logistics, because once again, homeowner could be on vacation during this entire process. So, um, so we are we are a major materials buyer and cabinetry provider already, and we get benefits from that. Did you see that coming? We thought that that was going to be a real Benjamin. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, looking at just sort of a segue um, to, to to sort of think about wrapping things up. Um, how do you sort of see yourself further innovating? What's on the product roadmap for you guys? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, first, um, we believe in amazing design. Um, so um, we will continue to innovate on raw design. You know, we are, we are working with some of the top architects in San Francisco on the most contemporary elements of amazing bathroom design, getting them as consultants. Um, and um, and we, uh, we are doing certain projects in conjunction with top-end, um, extremely well-known architects to supplement our products. So we, um, we are determined to be the, the best designer of kitchens and bathrooms in the world. And that includes you know, elegance, functionality, usability, um, et cetera. And so that's you know, just critically important to us. Um, we also continue to want to use our you know, buying power and scale to be the best and near cheapest uh, provider. You know, Amazon provides the highest level of service at the most competitive prices, and that's how we think about it. We are not a, a premium, uh, we, we believe we're a premium service, but we are not premium priced, and we intend to you know, make amazing home renovation and kitchens and bathrooms available at incredibly economic prices to everyone. Um, so, you know, that's a major focus of the business. Today. You know, it's interesting. Um, we had on uh, Christiane Lemieux on this podcast, and uh, she's a C, a founder and CEO of The Inside, uh, which is a home furnishings, digitally native home furnishings brand, which is made to order custom. And um, there are a lot of competitors for that business. Yeah. They're Amazon Home, uh, just mm -hmm. to name one, and, and we talked about, you know, how she sees that field. and, and you know, one of the things we talked about on that on that show, on that on that podcast, which is similar, is that you know, Christian's view is one of the ways I'm going to win is on being a great designer. Mm. Let's not lose sight of the fact yeah. that while maybe we are you know applying all this internet learning and these macro trends and we're doing this hack of a, let's also remember that these are people's homes and they want them to be beautiful and they want to be proud of them. Mm. Yeah. And that's that's sort of something that's coming through that that, that you're you're that's front and center. Yeah, as you would imagine it would be for a home yeah. innovation business. Yeah. So you yeah. want to be great designers. Yeah, we do consider beautiful. We do consider ourselves, um, you know, a design company. And, um, and by the way, the company was started on a partnership between um, you know a group of people that were technologists and product and business builders together with 